Hello, everyone, and welcome to Why the Last Podcast, um, the show where we discuss the TV series Why the Last Man on Ethics on Hulu. Got to get that right. And then the Vertigo comic book series of the same name. Uh, my name is Mike. My handle is Mike X Nichols. And today we have a full house. So, Grim, go ahead and introduce yourself and your handle. I'm Grim at Exile Grim with two M's. Welcome, Grim. Uh, and Lacey. Hi, I'm Lacey, and I'm at Embalmarama. And last but not least, Jackie. I am at EZ Treasy. Alrighty. So today we're going to be talking about episode seven of the series. It's called My Mother Saw a Monkey. Um, out of context, that probably sounds really funny, but it makes sense for the show. Uh, before we get into the episode, though, I th- think we should probably talk about something that uh, just broke, actually, uh, the day that we're recording this. Um, so Eliza Clark, the showrunner, said that uh, ethics on Hulu will not be renewing the show for a second season, uh, which we're all really disappointed to hear. Um they are looking for a new home for the show. So there is a chance that the show will continue, but not on ethics on Hulu. So disappointing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's a bummer, uh, for lack of a letter, a better description. Hulu, we're not mad. We're disappointed. So <laughs> you know, just rethink yourself. Yeah, it would be, um, it's, it's, I don't want to say anything negative about the network because they, funded the first season and I'm sure it's an expensive show and they have their own factors, but it, it seems like we're getting to a point where the show is really picking up. Um, I feel like every week it's getting better. So it's kind of, it's a kind of a bummer to know that we're getting to probably like the peak of the show and it's not going to be renewed. Um, at least as of now, uh, but we will continue to cover it for as long as the show is on. And if that means episode 10 is it, then that's it. Um, we do have some surprises still in store, um, and uh, we're here till the end, you know, ride or die, as they say. That's right. There's no yeah. way they're going to tell this whole story, right? No. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Not at all. Yeah, it's, there's just too much there, and they know that. They knew that yeah. going in, that this would be a multiple season thing. Yeah, it really has to be. So, yeah, um, they're going to try to shop it around, I guess. I don't know exactly how the logistics of this works, but I guess that's possible. Um, I've seen other TV shows do it uh, successfully. It would be but nice. at any rate, um, at any rate, I guess we can get into the episode itself with everything uh, said. Um, so this episode opens with uh, the trio finding a camper to commandeer for their trip um, out west, and. So we start with Agent 355. She's driving, and the jazz music that we've heard before in a previous uh, flashback uh, plays again in this episode as Agent 355 is drifting off at the wheel. She falls asleep and heads right into a tree. While this is going on, Yorick and Dr. Mann are bonding with each other, which I really like this scene a lot. It's more... Man, I really hope we do get another season because the chemistry between all these actors are so it's so good. I, um, but they're basically York's doing a magic trick for her, an escape trick, and so of course you know the accident happens. York gets knocked out, so does Doctor Man. We get a little bit more of Agent Three Fifty Five's backstory that shows before, and then at another point later we get to see more of her POV. 
Um, but what did you guys think of this opening? I liked it. I, I did appreciate them talking about the uh, theatrics of the, uh, the, the Barry dead trick where you have to add something else to really like, because the, the general concept of being buried alive is not very like entertaining to watch, but you have to have the image of scorpions or snakes or something to really get people moving. Yeah. It's, it's the idea of like, I'm going to do this trick and risk my life, but the people sort of know that you're not going to actually risk your life. So you have to like up the ante in some way. Well, and we're so, so yeah. desensitized too. You really have to vamp it up. I think to get modern crowds excited, that's got to play an element to it too. I do appreciate the moment where Dr. Mann uh, intercuts with uh, they don't know what an idiot you are to Yorick. Uh, (laughs) And then it takes him a moment, but then he catches it and uh, says something about it to her. But yeah, uh, I really, and then also again, like Yorick uh, gets knocked out and does not escape the the ropes um, that were tied by Alice and Mann. So that's once again, Yorick's trick is undercut before he can successfully do it. So I think that's, that's funny. It's also soon, you know, fits the character. Yeah. But at any rate, man wakes up in the wreckage, uh, finds Yorick unconscious, doesn't know where 355 is and stops a group that happens to be going by a convoy. And the convoy then draw their weapons because they don't know who they are. And then we cut to Yorick waking up in this home in Marysville, Ohio, which is right from the comic. So we are actually, that's something directly from the comic. The way that it happens is different, but more or less the idea is still there. You know, Agent 355 gets injured. They get more or less brought to this place. Um, and there's some there's some weird stuff going on. There's Not everything is as it seems. We're back in the canon. Yeah, we are. Uh, it's, it's neat to see. And... Uh, then we go back to uh, we cut to President Jennifer Brown, and we basically get to see the military group from the last uh, episode do their debriefing with the president, which is interesting because Van Elaine I think does a really good job at sort of playing like she she knows what actually happened, but she has to pretend as if she doesn't know and then try to discredit the soldiers, even though the captain of the uh, group saw Yorick very clearly and uh, knows that they're, you know, she trusts her instincts, even though she was tranquilized, but nevertheless, she says what she, what she saw and, and uh, basically informs Regina who's there listening and participating. Captain Guyan, I believe her name was Is that right. Yeah. Yeah. I believe Captain that's her Guyan. name. Um, and she swears that she saw a cis man with a monkey on his shoulder which is about where the meeting starts to go off the rails. Is that about right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's And that's where President Brown takes her leave. Um, Use that as an excuse to take her leave. And of course, playing the seat for Regina to talk about it later, even though Regina doesn't seem to believe it and it has her own skepticism, uh, it clearly makes an impression on her to talk about later. And then we cut back to 355, who basically relives a car accident so we get to see some of her backstory and we get to more or less see she she wears this uh, necklace that she's more or less like grabbed throughout the show. And um, it turns out, I believe it's her mom's. I mean, it's not explicitly said. I don't know what you guys, how you guys interpreted it. Yeah, I definitely thought that it was like uh, 
at least her family. I mean, I'm not sure who it is in her family, but it looks like there are like a couple of her relatives in that car. So this is like the first flashback that we get with 355 and kind of giving us a little bit of her backstory, which was interesting. Yeah. And it's also something she's clearly blocked out. Yeah. 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 It's, it's something that she doesn't want to think about. Yeah. She's involuntarily re-experiencing this through these, uh, these walking nightmares she's having. And I think it's treated like, it's treated very, um, I think appropriately with like the way it deserves. It's like, yeah, this is a, this is a horrifying thing that happened. And it left her basically as an orphan. After that flashback, 355 wakes up uh, in not great shape in a prison cell with Allison Mann in Marysville, Ohio. It's here that she more or less talks about, for the first time, her family and what happened to her, to somebody. Um, So someone other than the audience has now uh, picked up on something about her. Um, It's interesting she opens up to Mann before York about this. Uh, because I don't believe she's told Yorick anything about her family up to this point. She opened up to the first man she could find. (laughs) (laughs) So during this scene where Man and 355 share a moment, um, Grimm related to me a funny thing that happened to him, something that uh, he thought about when this happened, this uh, tense moment. I don't know if you want to take over Graham and tell us about that. Well, shit, now I'm lost. I forgot what I, it was. <laughs> <laughs> no, I totally forgot. It is now. <laughs> I, feel like I, should have just, I feel like I should have just said it. Um, anyways, the song Kiss the Girl. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was imagining Sebastian from Little Mermaid. Just singing this. Yeah, yeah. With his weird crab Jamaican accent, question mark? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. No, it's a tense moment. It's not an accident. So this is interesting to me because this is where it diverts from the comics. Whereas like in the comics, the prison thing is like, like kind of like a twist, right? Like it comes out of nowhere and you're like, what the hell? But in here, they're just like, yeah, it's a a women's prison right off rip. So that was interesting. It's it's more like open. I said, yeah, it's 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 ironically more open with the prison um, part of it, where they don't. This episode they don't get into it in full. I think like the comic does. I assume, but we're gonna probably explore this more. Um, but yeah, it's not a twist here. It's like no, this is a a prison and it's a women's prison. And uh, three fifty five, you know, very smartly figures out that yeah, it's pretty obvious that the people who are here left they didn't die here and the attitudes are reversed too yorick is the one who's most open to the former prisoners and uh it's 355 and man who are both like weirded out by that idea so in the comics yorick was a bit intolerant of the idea of spending time with prisoners is that right yeah he pretty much indicated he wanted to lock them back up (laughs) he wasn't (laughs) he wasn't subtle and that's part of the character that uh vaughn was writing for for um, Yorick was that he is that asshole that reflects in so many ways how our society is backward, but. And he's, he's self-righteous and naive. Right. And that's where like, it's, it's interesting because in the comic Yorick later on says that like, he wouldn't, you know, he, he think he doesn't believe that he uh, would say that again. If he were to go through that again, like he wouldn't, 
he like has a change of heart, you know, he grows. Um, so it is interesting to hear that Yorick is more open to them. He's not like afraid. There's a scene where like man and 355 more or less say that like the town probably is like, if the town can't trust them, they're going to kill them. Whereas Yorick is like, I don't think that's going to happen at all. No, no, they're so friendly. Like, it's... <laughs> um, so yeah, it's an interesting reversal for these characters. Um, I'm curious to see like where that goes because I'm assuming we're going to be in this town for the remainder of the season, but you know, we'll have to find out. Um, so we, we go back to Regina and her and Kimberly are having their, you know, powwows together, meetings together. Um, their secret, you know, meetings where they want to conspire against Jennifer Brown and the Democrats and so forth, the people in power. Um, and they're talking amongst themselves and Regina seems very dismissive of the story. Um, however, the audience and Kimberly's mom, the former first lady know about Yorick and the monkey. Um, and so when the part of the story happens, um, suddenly there's this, uh, I mean, literally a glass drops, right? And suddenly the- uh, Marla. It, yeah, Marla, that's her name. I, I had forgotten her name, but the former first lady, Marla, thank you, um, immediately makes the connection that what she saw wasn't uh, a dream or a hallucination. You know, she really did see Yorick with ampersand in the white, uh, in the Pentagon. Um, so we, then we transition over to Beth and she's back, which is interesting uh, because in the comic, Beth disappears for uh, most of the, I would say like at least half the comic, right? In the bush in Australia, right? Is where she drops yes. off the map. Yeah. Yeah. She, she basically goes off to Australia this whole apocalyptic event happens and then we don't hear from her or see her again for a long time. Probably more than half the book. What year is it? Uh, it was brand new. No. What year is it? Whereas here she pops back up and is like in person showing up to the Pentagon slash White House. Uh, so it is interesting to see her back and what her motivations are. We don't fully know. Um, until later on. Uh, but we get to say, see like she's not in Ohio, which is what I thought was going to happen. So good job, TV writers. You fooled me. <laughs> um, but I think this is really interesting to have her reunite with Jennifer Brown, who obviously knows her uh, because her and York have dated for a while. Um, but, you know, Beth doesn't know that York's still alive. Right. And it, it does feel like they're setting it up that Beth is going to be somewhere around um, uh, uh, Jennifer Brown when Jennifer Brown is terminal somehow. And she, that's what the knowledge is going to transfer that way. I could see that. Like, yeah, that's uh, it sounds like it'd be, I think, dramatically more interesting, too. Um, and it gives Beth more to do as a character uh, than to have her out, out in Australia right now. I mean, maybe she'll leave and go. Eventually, I don't know. We, we don't know what this is a very different um, version of the character. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, well, we don't want to give too much away yet this episode, but we do know that they've got her on a, a somewhat different path 
from the comics. Is that right? The organization that she's. Yeah, I, I feel like what we're seeing from Beth is all brand new. So I'm not really sure what they're going to do with her character, which I'm totally okay with because everything that they've adapted so far has been, I think, in better service of the story, like in a show format. So I'm interested to see what they do with her because that was very surprising. I felt like. I, I do feel like it is funny that there's a good chance she might just be, end up like killing her mother-in-law. That crossed yeah. my mind too. Yeah. Hell of a way to face Yorick again. If she, if she does when, and if she does, uh, Oh, you're alive. And also, whoops, I am so sorry. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, and even just in their meeting between Beth and Jennifer, from their relative perspectives, Jennifer can't tell Beth that Yorick is still alive. She can't tell anyone. Um, and she's comfortable with that as a politician. She knows how to keep her mouth shut. But this is, she's looking at who could have been her potential daughter-in-law. This is family. And it is quite healing for Jennifer to see her even as conflicted as she is about the secrets she has to keep in the company that she's in. And by the way, you guys all corrected me on saying they were in New York when I said DC in my write-up, but I was actually correct because they are at the motherfucking Pentagon and I was right the whole time. <laughs> yeah. This scene is really interesting too, because uh, it seems like Beth is there uh, for, I mean, there's like a, the on the surface reason, which is, Oh, I want some closure. Uh, with York. Um, but then there's another reason, which we'll get into later. I actually really like though, the way that it plays on the surface. Um, I really, I, you know, there's uh, the way that it's, the scene is played out is really to me. Uh, I think they do a good job of sort of justifying why Beth doesn't go back and look for York because she assumes he's dead and she, she just can't, she can't see him that way. She's just not emotionally ready or, um, she just leaves, you know, she knows like things go south and she just leaves. Um, and, uh, yeah, there's something really, uh, I, I guess you could say tragic about that. Cause she just assumes that he died by himself and then blames herself for it Yeah, and wishes that she could have done things differently because she assumes that he died like heartbroken and alone. She does tell Jennifer that she really did love Yorick. And I, I don't know. I mean, I think she, Maybe I'm naive, but I think she really means that. At least, you know, on the surface, like there's that part of her that means that. Yeah, I, I do like that she called the Pentagon a time machine to kind of emphasize the lack of resources outside of it. Yes. Um, also, it does emphasize uh, how used to those resources everyone in the Pentagon is that uh, um, that no one really got suspicious of her desire to leave it all, you know? it is interesting because uh, you, you would think every single person coming through those doors is like, okay, how can I stay here? Like, you know, they're watching episodes of mash for God's sake. Like, yeah. And they like Jennifer Brown just assumed that she was going to stay anyway and said like, Oh yeah, you can have the bed. I'll take the couch. And Beth says, no, I'm, I'm going to go. Yeah. It's very suspicious behavior. Um, before we get to that point though, uh, Regina and Kimberly, basically continue their discussion that's become more intense now about where things are now that they know that York is alive. Um, they don't have any proof. It's just hearsay and it's based on Marla's 
firsthand account. And of course, Marla has been cooped up and just, you know, in a broken state since her husband died and this whole plague happened. So, you know, they don't believe anyone will believe her anyway. Um, so they more or less, it's interesting here because you can kind of see, uh, I really like this, how this is played because Regina is kind of thinking about things more in terms of power. She even says like, I wish I had my radio show. Cause then I could like tell my, you know, you know, first time caller, long time listeners about. And she um, could activate her base. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And then Kimberly has a very different view. She looks at things more in terms of like her faith, right? She thinks like, oh no, this is all part of God's plan. Uh, Yorick is the chosen one and we have to like abide by that. So we need Yorick because he's yes. like the future of like the human race now because God willed it. Yeah. What a fantastic dichotomy the two of them are. The the power welding uh, right wing versus the faith and belief based right wing. You know, it's a, an interesting, interesting playoff those two have. It's a good encapsulation, right? Uh, and um, they're both really like, I, I like that the hell this is played because it comes from a place of like, um, again, like empathy. The show to me has like a really strong empathetic viewpoint with all these characters. And um, more or less the conversation ends with um, Kimberly saying that they need to get proof and that they basically out the proof in front of Jennifer, they'll force her to resign. Mm hmm. Yeah, that's her that's her tidy plan basically to try to deal uh with this revelation. Um, um go we ahead. get the we get the best line of the show, I think, in that, oh, that yes. episode too. Uh the beta boy who plays magic tricks. <laughs> 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 I thought that was so funny. Oh my god. I love the way Regina's like in disbelief. She's like, What do you mean, Leork's the future of the human race? <laughs> Which really just goes back to like, it's just such an unexpected, like Yorick is, it's not, he would, he would even not choose this if he could have any say in this. Uh, so it's just funny how this just carries over. So we, we cut over to the war room uh, with Jennifer Brown and Marla confronts Jennifer Brown in the war room about this revelation. And it's a really, I mean, again, strong empathetic viewpoint here. Like I, you know, Marlo's the first lady. She has her own, like, she's basically still grieving. You know, she misses her, her children. She misses her husband or her grandchildren, her husband. Um, she just wants to go home. It's really sad, actually. It's like really heartbreaking to watch this unfold. Yeah. Um, and everyone just sort of like chalks it up to like, oh, Marla's just, you know, Marla's just going through it, you know. Uh, but Jennifer Brown knows what she's talking about when she basically tells her like it shouldn't have been her son. It should have been her family who survived, not Yorick. So brutal. And Marla has a real affection for Jennifer Brown. She does. Uh, Kimberly and Marla have a altercation on this at some point where Marla's like, leave that woman alone, you know? But uh, Kim doesn't trust her and knows there's a secret. Marla's more resigned to just watching episodes of MASH. Like she's kind of just over everything, right? I mean, like her... Basically, her whole life got turned upside down, and she's still reeling from that. And uh, Kimberly's the one that's really like digging, and, and Regina also. But like Kimberly's really the one that's looking for like this sense of closure, and she's looking for meaning, I think. Whereas Regina's looking for like a power grab. Yes, yes. 
Um, Marla's yeah. completely lost her faith in God. Just part of that altercation she has with Kim is that Kim is driven by her belief and her faith that that God will restore the human race and and his followers will be rewarded and that's the only way she can mentally handle what's happening and maybe yeah. that's what's tipped marlo over the edge yeah she's definitely um i think numb and kind of lost all of her faith whereas like regina and kimberly are you know completely different because kimberly is really leaning into her faith in god and regina is leaning into her faith in strong arming <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I I definitely do appreciate that uh, that Kimberly has more faith in Yorick than his mother. <laughs> it's very it's interesting. True. It's so true. Yeah, God can uh, make you uh, believe a lot of weird things. I think. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Like Yorick it's... Brown, the savior of humanity. <laughs> But also that statement Kim makes about wanting to be a nation of mothers. And in a way, she believes that her her job as a woman is only to be enhanced by being impregnated by males. Her job is to, you know, birth men's children into the world, which is fucking bleak. But yeah, that's what's getting her through is the idea that she might pop another one out or something. I don't know. Uh, that's, uh, you know, something that you see with her, um, trying to adopt Christine's baby. Yes. So you can tell that that is like her main motivation is just being a mother, whether that means that it's coming from a man or not. I mean, as soon as she figures out that that is a possibility, she like grasped onto it. But even before that, it's like, she just wants to, she just wants to be maternal. Yes, Absolutely. She uses the phrase, um, a nation of mothers. Like she wants that again. She like, mm-hmm. that's what she's really, that is like her losing her children, obviously traumatizing, yeah. horrible, but like it's left this void and she doesn't, she doesn't know what to do with herself. Yeah. There's also the context too, of like, this is kind of a, if, if they can replicate Yorick, um, and his DNA and all that, they're there is kind of the utopian uh, we got rid of all the feminists who just want to work and now having kids is going to have to be priority number one. Oh yeah. The survival of the race. We get to return to when things were better. Then there will be no more Rachel Maddow on TV and the liberals all have to agree that I was right all along and then they'll pick me for kickball or whatever. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's a really interesting way to like, um, Because I think we've talked about this, how like these characters weren't in the comic and it's not explored in quite the same way. But I think it's a good amalgamation of both like a more modernized retelling of the story than also things that were in the comic. Um, And it doesn't like I said, it feels empathetic. I I, I know I sound like a broken record, but I I do appreciate that it's not they don't feel like caricatures. and They don't feel like cartoon characters. They feel like actual people. They don't feel mean. They're just accurately baddie. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) So we go back, and Yorick, after he wakes up uh, naked, I should add, um, another nude scene. Some more for more uh, fan service for you all. Do Um, not hate it. Do not. Yeah. (laughs) So Yorick wakes up and basically wanders. You know, finds his clothes and then wanders out. And um, I actually really like the way Marysville has been updated for the show uh one big change and again this is just this is like a big this has been a change throughout the series but 
there are transgender men living in Marysville, Ohio as well as women. And I think that's like a really great um, change. It's more inclusive. It's just, it makes sense. Like when I saw that, I was like, oh yeah, duh. Like why? Yeah, of course. Um, so I really, I actually really like to the way that it's played because um, when it's, when it's revealed that York is like a cisgender man, they're just like, yeah, we don't really care. Um, it's not like we want you or anything. Like we have men here. We're not impressed. Yeah. I love Listen, that. We've been in prison. Like we've dealt without like your uh... dick. Yeah. <laughs> we've dealt without dicks for a while. Thank you. That yeah. was a succinct way of saying what I was trying to plot out. Yeah. I definitely like that. Um, it's also, it makes sense to statistically uh, cis uh, or uh, trans men are, are more likely to be in prison than the general um they're overrepresented in prison um as a result of the way uh i mean there's a billion things that go into that between sex workers and just general stigmatization um but for the all the the reasons uh provided they are overrepresented in the prison population so it, it would make sense on that level just to see um that kind of representation in marysville too another thing i i, I really like about the way the scene plays out um it's you know, York basically thinks that they're going to try to sell him, right? And he has like good reason to think that because of what happened to him previously. Um, so he is scared. And they're also, it seems like they're also trying to find answers in a way too, because they're like, okay, well, it's not that we want you, but like, what happened then? Like, how, how are you and your capuchin monkey still alive? And I like the way that they navigate through that. Um, it's played a lot for laughs with York, because again, he's York and he's kind of bumbling around. Yeah, and it's uh, it is kind of funny that they all assume he was a prisoner because he was doing a, a tie up trip, <laughs> and they just found him bound, and they don't realize he's just a dork. And they would, they would also be like, I I think you know, think about this too. They would sympathize with him, wouldn't they? Because if they're all from the prison, right? And exactly. they're gonna say like, they're gonna say like, oh, your captors, we put them in the prison cell. By the way, like justice has been served. You're uh, you're okay. Yeah. yeah. Right. That was nice. And, uh, it is funny how they're like, they have to kind of like, it's almost like a fog. They're like, wait a minute, you weren't being held captive and you keep calling these people your friends. What is going on here? Like, I also do appreciate that when they all had their little powwow and they put him together in the cell with 355 and uh man that again, it's one of those York is often right, but not as right as he thinks he is where he basically <laughs> says 355 is not in any capacity to really do damage. And she basically takes him on and it's just fine. But then she immediately vomits and it's, it's kind of a, yeah, this is what I'm talking about. That fight scene was great. That was fantastic. I love it. I love, I love the line. Like you're about to get like fucking destroyed by a shoelace. (laughs) You're about to get your ass kicked by a shoelace. Right. Yeah. That's what it is. So funny. Um, Great line. She took that out of her shoe. I was like, garage. She's about to garrot somebody. I cannot <laughs> wait. I've played enough rogue class to know exactly where this is going. I can't wait. It's going to be so good. And you got the treat of getting uh, your garroted. So that's mm-hmm. great. I love, I love, I love that dynamic. Cause again, it perfectly encapsulates York and 355 mm-hmm. like together. <laughs> you know, York is being too cocky. He tries to like goad her. And like Grimm said, like he's right, but he doesn't realize how right he is. Um, or the way in which he's correct. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I, so it, yeah, go ahead. 
I also love how um, after she like gets like woozy and sick from it, they're all pissed off at him, and he just yeah. got his yes. ass whooped. <laughs> and he's like trying to apologize. I again, like I think I said this earlier, but I love the way the scene plays out too. With like three fifty five and Manor on the same page, you're like, yeah, these people could they could kill us. Like you know, it's this is like concerning, and New York's just like, I think it'll be fine. It's gonna be fine. <laughs> It also makes sense because like 355 is always hanging out with like, you know, uh, people she's basically going to kill on behalf of the government. And then Yorick or uh, man is like a literal Harvard professor. So, of course, she's going to have kind of a a little bit of Karen in her, too. Mm -hmm. A scene I wanted to talk about now that you say that, Grim, I really like the scene where 355 has like a heart to heart with Dr. Mann, where she's basically tells her like, Hey, uh, you weren't on the list by the way. Like he, he, he basically like without 355, man wouldn't have not have been like called upon for this uh, journey um, or this opportunity and basically tells a man to like stop putting ideas in York's head. Um, I also, I also really like the quote earlier where man's like, what's the plan? And 355 is like, I don't know. Last time I told you the plan, you fucked off. Yeah. <laughs> like, why should I tell you? I, I really like that. I, 355's personality is coming out more. She's, I think she's opening up more and becoming more like comfortable around Yorick and man. So I actually really like seeing that. It's good because she's more vulnerable than she cares to admit. And she's going to need to lean on them. So it's good that they're... Uh getting cozy yeah it feels like they're they're getting more connected as like a a unit like on a mission you know so it's good to see that happen because like you were saying like 355 is so vulnerable right now and i think that she's really starting to realize that if she doesn't realize that after the car accident then she's not going to (laughs) yeah i mean that's a that's a pretty big mess up right there you guys were all set you had a camper on the back oh, of a truck. I know what a shame. Would have been so dope. Oh and man! You want a camper in the apocalypse? You know those things. They have a friggin' toilet in the back. When do you think the last time those people saw a toilet was? You know what I mean. <laughs> the world's your toilet um, when you want it to be. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, we we see that in the what was it the last episode? Yorick was peeing, just like freely. Oh, yeah. Um, which easier for a guy to do that, or for Yorick at least to do that? Um, which I thought was. Uh, amusing anyway yeah no the whole world is your oyster as some would say mm-hmm. um i i i like the way that this scene unfolds because as you know as Lacey said like they're becoming a unit um they're learning how to work together i like that too that they don't immediately take to each other like uh, you know they all have their secrets they all have their own like wants um and they're not going to immediately be each other's best friend you know, it's going to take time for them, I think, to learn how to get along with each other and work together. And you could kind of see that's falling into place now. Absolutely. Um, so the town has their meeting, right? And takes their vote on what they should do with this group. And Sonia, who is also in the comic, but just different, though the execution of the character is different, but she's still in the comic, but she walks in. And basically informs them that they're allowed to stay if they choose. Uh, they, of course, ask what happens if they don't. And they say, well, we'll walk you over and leave you like outside the town. You can go do whatever you want from there. It's probably not a good idea, but uh, hey, your call. Yeah, if you don't want any of our delicious food and electricity, I mean, 
Peace yeah. out. Yeah. And York definitely speaks for for everyone involved and just immediately agrees without any deliberation. Yeah, and I, I do appreciate that the group they don't disagree with him because I think they want to they want to stay too. They just don't trust the group of people in Marysville. But yeah, I like that York is just immediately like, Yeah, of course, yeah, we're stay up, absolutely. Um, but that trust is reversed from the comics. Is that right? Is that Allison and 355 were the ones who were more comfortable staying with the crew there and York was the one who wanted to leave? Once the revelation, like once it's revealed that the town is, the population is all former prisoners, then yeah, York becomes more judgmental. Prior to that though, he's happy. He's like, well, this is like a little oasis because there's electricity. You know, you guys have fresh food. Um you know, so yeah, the, the it is a reversal from yeah. uh, from the comic. Um, so Yorick basically uh, puts three fifty five to bed, and Man stays, you know, near like with her to like help her because she likely has a skull fracture and at least a concussion, and it's going to take some time for her to recover. I like how this scene plays out. Three fifty five, even when she's like concussed, can still pick up on Yorick having chemistry with somebody. Yeah, so jealous. Uh, so funny. Um, just immediately, it's just like, "Hey, don't trust that girl." And New York's like, "What girl?" And you, <laughs> you know what girl? <laughs> but even when she's got her noggin cracked open, she's still too proud to let anyone care for her. Right? No, she doesn't want York to like. She's like, "I'm fine. I'm fine." Even though she's clearly not fine. Right? Well, she say, "This is the last time you'll ever have to care for me." This is the only time it won't happen again. Yeah. It's an interesting moment of vulnerability with her in York. I think it's like probably one of the first times she's been as vulnerable as that with him. I mean, both figuratively and literally. Um, and she doesn't like it. Obviously she does. She's like, no, this won't happen again. And York yeah. loves it though. Yeah, he does. You can That's tell. That's what he wanted. Isn't that what he wanted? He wanted her to open up and he wanted to like help. Yeah. After she says that, he says, I know. Like after she apologizes and says, you won't have to take care of me again. He's like, I know, but he seems a little sad about it. Mm-hmm. He <laughs> just he's a cuddly out. guy. Yeah. yeah. You can tell he's a cuddler. Mm-hmm. My God. <laughs> and well, a crier, right? Guys, once they get to the cuddle stage, they're fine. But if you ask them to talk about their job or their life or anything else, mm, the cuddle is their domain. They're the snuggle, the teddy bear guys. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so. 355 warns York not to like open his mouth. And of course he's probably not going to listen because he's York. Um, but York immediately, um, he goes outside and then it's the evening time now. And it looks like they're having some sort of like, celebr- like basically like a festival, like a little gathering where they have the electricity run in. They have fresh food. It's like a, it actually looks a lot of fun. I kind of wish I could go there and do that. I know. Right. I wanted to go. Yeah. I was like, I would love this place. Looks right? really nice. Yeah. I, I was jealous. Um, but York, of course, you know, he gets invited by two Marysville residents to come out and he walks over with them. And then the one of the leaders, well, they say they don't have leaders, but one of the more formative residents of Marysville um, invites him to have some food and hang out, basically. And then he meets Sonia, who is sipping, I think, a beer, um, which is funny because that's probably the closest that these people have gotten to what things were like pre- virus right i mean it's like i i i kind of do feel this parallel between like what we have with covid and like what 
is happening here. It's like, there's a certain point where you're just like, I wish we could go back. I wish we could, like, I didn't know how good we had it. Um, where you could like go out and sit down and, and not have to worry about catching a virus. I don't know. It's, um, it resonates a little deeper than it did uh, when I originally read the comic. Yes. And yeah. throughout the worst of COVID, my dad bought a couple acres of land out in Crivets, Wisconsin, <laughs> and has been building himself an illegal hunting camp. They're all illegal structures. <laughs> he just MacGyvers the shit together. <laughs> and thinking a lot about life away from infrastructure, life after a huge crash which i think we've all kind of had like nipping at the back of our minds since covid since so many things broke down supply lines just got all fucked up grim you were the one who told me like two weeks before shit got really bad with covid you were like pull money out of the bank fill up your (laughs) pantry get ready shit's gonna hit the fan and i was like that's a china problem that's not an america problem but you were right Yep. Like, <laughs> no, I mean, honestly, like, I think a lot of, I mean, we're a lot of Americans were just, and this is like very much an American thing, right? We're like, oh, we're fine. That's right. like some other place. There, it's their problem. And then, of course, we're the ones dealing with it for the longest now compared mm-hmm. to the rest of the world. Stubborn assholes. Yeah, that was like I, I be, uh, you know, uh, God bless my uh, significant other, but I basically like forced her to come <laughs> to leave. Um, cause she was in DC at the time and uh, yeah. she was going to be there for a while. So, um, I, I forced her to leave, uh, and it was like, she got here maybe three or four days before all the airlines started shutting down all their flights. And wow. Oh I mean, God. I like just ride under the radar. So good call. But yeah. Yeah. Um, there is a yearning, isn't there? Like of wanting to go back. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we get to see that and it's almost like Yorick's on a date with Sonia. Um, it's like almost like because she's sipping a she's sipping a beer. He's eating some food. They're having a conversation just about what's going on, um, a little bit about the town, a little bit about themselves. Um, she also tells Yorick, uh, "Oh God, the name of the I I I feel terrible. I don't remember the name of the character, but Janice. She tell, yes, yeah. He, she tells Yorick what Janice is in what Janice was in prison for." Um, which York acts shocked, but then is assured like, oh no, Janice is cool. She wouldn't hurt her to fly, basically. She's totally fine. Yep. Trust her. Um, yeah, it's cool. Um, I believe she was a junkie who in the 60s stabbed somebody to get money for dope. Was that the story? I think with so. Her, with her partner, right. I yeah. believe. Who was put to death, right? Yes. That's what they said. He was put to death in the 90s and she was not one of the things that no one's commented on too, and it's going to definitely be part of a revelation in either the next episode or the episode after is that we've not seen one guard. And if it's a oh. female prison, that means there's got to be at least a big chunk of guards who are female for different reasons. So oh. I have a feeling there's a body dump somewhere. There's a graveyard for sure. There's, there's absolutely just a big old pit. That's a good point. Well, and like Mike was saying, with like the setup that they had going on there and then the party and everything, you know, like you're you yearn for that, but they're really yearning for that because they've been locked up in fucking prison. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they're going right. to do whatever they can to keep that uh, keep that happening for them, I think. so, And to protect their their home that they've built for themselves. Yep. 
there's definitely, and there's, this is a good point too, that's brought up. Um, I'm glad you said that because like, there's a scene where the residents are more or less asking you our questions and they say like, Hey, it's a lot of government equipment, like military grade level equipment in your camper or there was, um, and York offers it up, but they don't really want it so much as they're concerned because they don't want the government coming in. They're worried about, they just gained their freedom. Right. And, uh, the prison system, of course, is awful. You know, we could talk about that, of course, on a whole separate, you know, tangent. But like, yeah, they obviously don't want to give that up. And just like Lacey said, like they, uh, you're like you're absolutely right. They're yearning too, uh, even more so than everyone else. And we get to see that uh, because one of the characters, um, you know, of course, has their own opinion. And doesn't uh, think that they should have let them stay and doesn't, you know, thinks that they're all going to get either imprisoned again or killed uh, for letting them stay. Um, them being a uh, man, York and 355. Yeah. So there's an interesting like splintering going on there among the group. You know, they're not all and even though they say that they all vote and they try to like act as democratic as possible. There's uh, there's some conflicting views there. Not all of them are on the same page. I mean, like all good democracies, they probably killed a lot of people who were going to vote <laughs> no before everything happened. Yeah. Um, we have so. ways of making these people disappear. Yeah, exactly. So there's yeah, there's definitely like an implied mechanic where the democracy is kind of a front to some degree, and it's there's definitely kind of a, a prison gang vibe that's that's going on in the. Uh, in the background so we'll, we'll we'll see how that develops oh yeah and then we also have like beth and all of her revelation too at the end of the episode that was good right so yeah we'll go back to we're going back to dc marla the former first lady has basically lost her hope and will to live uh, we've already talked about she's lost her faith um and she just wants to go back home but there's no home to go back to because the home that she had is gone you know it's been basically laid to waste by the apocalypse I believe they said a uh, dam broke. Yeah. Yes. Because they didn't have people to operate anymore. Uh, the infrastructure that we take for granted is just like that you don't even think about. Uh, and Astounding. Then, yeah. Hanging by a thread. Uh, all, a lot yeah. of it. Even with people there, even like with our, yeah. like in our current situation. Um, How many bridges do we have collapse in this country a year? There are at least 47,000 structurally deficient bridges in the United States. Something ridiculous, like a ridiculous number. It should be called the thin fluorescent yellow line for all the construction (laughs) fellas out there in the vests working on our shit every day. Somebody snatch up that catchphrase. Yes, thin (laughs) fluorescent yellow line. My husband's going to love that because he wears that shit every day. So this scene is pretty heavy because Marla basically leaves and Marla basically decides that she's going to check out and Kimberly, you know, goes out basically to go grocery shop or like go find food for them to make. Maybe in her mind, it's like a project for them to do together. Oh, and it was so cute when she came running in and she was like, I found peaches and we're halfway to a peach cobbler. (laughs) And her, her performance, Amber Tamblyn, like, She's been really great, but this episode, I think that she was 
probably the best performance. Yes. The frenzy nice. with which she expresses her faith. She's like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> Just like so passionate and so like knows what she wants to do, like has no qual like there's not really any decision making that you see going behind her like eyes. It's just like she just knows what she wants and she doesn't even question the whole thing with Yorick. She's just like, we need him. Like we need him to save us so we can all be mothers again. Yes. And and then, you know, everything that happens with her mother at the end is very um just seeing her so exuberant and like happy and like ready for what's gonna happen now for the future. Oh, and, and the then last time she like, spoke to her mom, her mom told her that she no longer had faith in God, which had to be devastating for her. So she skips in there, not just happy for herself, but to bring some happiness to her mama. You know, yeah. to hear her wailing mama in the hallway. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So awful. And like, that's all she has left, too. You know, her mom. I think this. So, yeah, the one, the scene is like handled very well. It's given the gravity that it deserves. I think it's not gratuitous at all. Like we, we see enough. We know exactly what's going on. We're in the character's headspace, both Marla and Kimberly's headspace. It's done very well. Um, you know, there's nothing mean spirited about it either. Like it's it's handled in a way where you really feel sorry for them, and you really feel for them, even if you don't necessarily share their views. Um, you still feel really terrible about what's happening to them, and I think you know. Marla dying, like that's the last thing that's really tying Kimberly down uh, for her to really, I think things are going to really shift into gear for her uh, in the coming episodes. Exactly, Mike. I think her uh, character is about to have like a jump start here. Like if we thought that she was already going, it's only going to go up from here. Well, there's also going to be so much talk of conspiracy because she like fell from the roof. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like like she knew something and she was pushed, right? right? Or something like that. Yeah. Um, also, you know, something to point out, which it didn't even occur to me until now, she has that spat with Jennifer Brown, right? And then she just falls from the roof of the Pentagon. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's not looking great. Not looking Mm -hmm. great for Jennifer Uh Brown. And Jennifer Brown already pointed out how the people at the gate protesting are already like, they're just looking for anything that they can get their hands on. Um, which makes, I mean, honestly, like, and it's not, they're not portrayed as villains either. Like it's, it's like, no, they're desperate. They're hungry. They're scared. They're upset. Um, it's still played from an empathetic angle, but you know, they're still there. They're like vultures. They're just waiting, waiting for the, uh, waiting for the time to like, uh, intervene. But we go back to Beth and Beth, she leaves the, the Pentagon and she rendezvous with the group and the group, wasn't sure she was going to actually meet them or they weren't entirely sure it was going to pan out, but it did. And Beth basically gives them the lowdown of the, of the, the Pentagon and the situation there. Um, the inside scoop, some would say. Yeah. And again, it should be emphasized the part of the reason they probably thought she wasn't going to come back was because again, it's really nice inside and she could just, yeah. like, <laughs> she could just be safe and fed and happy inside if she wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also kind of an implication. These, uh, say the same group may be related to the group in Boston. Yeah. Uh, we don't know if it's spontaneous or separate, but, oh. um, uh, it'll be interesting to find out how big this is because I mean, these places are not very far apart. No. And they were using the same prints, weren't they? Didn't you see a lot of the same, uh, that's what I thought, but it's, it's hard to tell. That's true. That's it's, true. 
it's interesting, right? Because it, they, it could be one or the other. I mean, it's sort of like when you have like an organization and then chapters pop up or you know, there's always going to be little differences. I mean, but more or less, I would have to say their values are probably the same, right? Like they don't trust the government. They're desperate for resources. It's But, you know, there's also the scene with Jennifer Brown where she's trying to tell them to leave, right? Like, oh, there's shelters. You could take, you could take advantage of that. And to them, though, it's about more than that. Oh, I also think it's entirely possible there aren't any actual shelters or space age shelters. Maybe, maybe too. You I, know, it's, I, I was yeah. thinking that too. I was thinking like how much infrastructure is really happening outside You're of right. those gates anyways, you know, like who really knows? Also, shelters are a hard thing to find at the moment. Like half the houses yeah. just got emptied. It's free real estate. Yeah. You know, like right. food is the hard part. And no one's talking it's, food. It's food it's, uh, and medical care and yes. yeah, there's so much. Which, which they, they do a good job of driving that point home. Like Beth lost her mom because her mom was sick and there were no doctors available to treat her mom with whatever ailment she had. Um, and, you know. Well, and also it should be pointed out that's different than a normal day in America because Beth is a <laughs> PhD candidate and thus her parents probably have a little money and right. that would normally save them. As opposed to just, you know, people dying of lack of care in America all the time right now. Right, right, right. So, yeah, it, well, it's true. Like, Beth actually comes probably from a background of some money. So her parents probably normally would be able to get health care. And now they, but, you know, it's not a matter of money anymore, right? right? It's like there's no real currency anymore beyond, like, what you can get from food, medicine, like, things like that. Or services, too, like, like uh we said in a previous episode with Hero, Hero's ability to like do like medical care, like emergency medical care. Right. That's a commodity unto itself. Like, you know, and we've seen this before. This isn't, I mean, this isn't like a, this isn't reinventing the wheel, right? Like in a post-apocalyptic scenario, like money doesn't mean anything anymore. It's about resources, like basic human resources. Mm-hmm. What do you need? What do I have that you need? What can we trade? Yeah. So now I'm just waiting for when Jennifer, I like, I, I just keep imagining Jennifer Brown dying this season. So <laughs> I, uh, uh, I just, cause I mean, just the meta level of Diane Lane is expensive. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Getting a multi-season I, commitment from Diane Lane sounds uh, challenging. And what it's... a dope cliffhanger that would be to get secured for a second season elsewhere. Well, also for Beth to know, you know, if Beth knows as part of her, you know, her dying um, and Beth is like the last person who knows basically, but has now seized the Pentagon. That'll be an interesting dynamic. So this is, this is a new story for Beth. Like we weren't seeing, we were expecting this. How did this come as comic fans? What was that like seeing her show up in the van at the end? Was that frustrating? Interesting. What'd you think? Interesting. I I actually really like that. I actually really like this for her character. It gives her more to do. Um, It makes me like more intrigued to see like, well, what's going to happen? I don't know what's going to happen. I really don't know. Yeah, no, I really like it too because in the comics, like she's she's like a, a fantasy, just like how you, she's a fantasy in York's mind almost too. Yeah. But like you as a reader, like you don't really know Beth that well. You only know Beth through York's lens. So I think that this is a fun thing to do with her character. And I also think that she did really good in this episode because going back and rewatching it a couple of times, like the way that she speaks and the kinds of things that she's paying attention to and stuff 
have like a new meaning after you know like oh she's like involved with some shit to like mm-hmm. take down the pentagon huh <laughs> yep it, can we explore her motives too sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you mike no i think that's a really good point i was i was gonna say like i like i was just about to say that too like i like that this gives her more to do in the sense that like she she's just not waiting around she's not grieving like she's actually actively doing stuff like york's yeah. dead and that you know breaks her heart but she's moving on you know like there's there's shit going on that needs to be done you know there's work to do so from um beth's perspective the world ends her boyfriend's dead she has no idea what's going on um but she must have fallen in with a group of these protesters right she must have fallen in and and decided to fight these people so um it's hard to know what we're going to expect until tonight it's it's really exciting i think um i don't know if we're going to be in dc for this next episode for episode eight it might be just a hero sam nor episode i get and maybe with a little bit of york and marisville sprinkled in there but i guess we'll have to wait and see um one thing i wanted to talk about for this episode before we wrap up I wanted to talk about Hero because we're going to be going back to Hero. So I wanted to talk about Roxanne and Hero. And the last time we saw Hero, like, wh- where did we leave her? You know, I, I think that'd be cool to, like, pick back up there. Because they have a conversation together outside the the Costco or outlet center that they've commandeered um, as their home. And it's it's an interesting moment because we get to we get to kind of fully have Hero more or less open up for the first time, like fully to somebody about what happened during the plague. On the last time we saw Hero was when she confessed to Roxanne. Is that right? Right. Correct. About killing her, her lover in the ambulance. It's, it's a great scene because Hero says, and Lacey pointed this out and it was funny when this happened because I was like, Lacey was right. Um, uh, When Hero says like, oh, he told me he was going to leave his partner. But and then he said he you know he lied, but she's like I didn't even really want him to do that. No, so it's like, hell no. It, yeah, it's not even that's not why she was upset. <laughs> no, no, yeah. she felt yeah. chosen, and then I felt stupid. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the dog can't catch the car. No. Exactly. Yeah. Once you once the car like once you do the game is up right. Um, it's the Don Don Draper disease. <laughs> the beginnings of things are, it's the best part right and then once you get past that it's not fun anymore right. yeah all about the chase for for people that have a lot of self-loathing see i love Something... myself that's why i hate the chase exactly <laughs> i like the monotony and the habits and the rituals the literally routine, yeah. you know yeah. like i love that stuff that's <laughs> because i care about myself and i want to sleep and eat and like have a nice time you know that's right. Yeah, the, that's you know, the what pers- life is about. Right. The pursuit is miserable. <laughs> <laughs> it's too much work. Come on. Let me yes. just get there, please. Let me just get there. Um, so uh, more or less, she confesses that she killed him, which she could have just pretended like she did with Sam, but she doesn't. She tells Roxanne what happened. And like we've already sort of figured out, Hero wanted to be punished and she didn't get punished. Uh, not at all. And Roxanne basically says, not in a judgmental way either, it should be noted, but she basically says, it sounds like you got away with killing him. Um, but it's almost like she's impressed by yeah. that. Well, not that she's upset by it. 
I think that she's impressed, but I think that she's also probably like, hell yeah, I have blackmail on this bitch. Exactly. I'm so happy. Like, I mean, right. I know yeah, that Hero knows. Seven. Yeah. And and Hero knows she's not a she's not an idiot, right? Like she knows when she says this that like she's putting herself in a probably like a precarious situation. I think with Roxanne, like she's putting herself on the edge. But like you were saying, she wants to be punished, so she kind of likes that drama. She likes mm-hmm. the messiness of that situation. She could be changing and growing a little bit, but like, come on. She's probably gone off those Zans too. Oh yeah. You know? <laughs> she's, she doesn't even remember having that conversation. No. Um, yeah. I mean, and so it leaves us an interesting position with her next week. Um, I say next week, next episode, I should say. So yeah, is does anyone have any other comments, concerns, or anything they'd like to share? I mean, we could just do another shout out for three fifty five and Doctor Man almost getting really kissy face close. So close. Yeah, this so is close. why this is why we need another season. We need to keep this I going. Know. Like, listen, because this, this can't we're end not like gonna, this. If I do not get to see them <laughs> kiss each other, I'm gonna lose my mind. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna make it happen. Somebody pick it up. Netflix, HBO, or uh, Netflix. This is a good opportunity for you to get off of my shit list a little bit, right? Someone was saying um, Disney Plus, even right? I yeah, I mean, honestly, here's and th- I don't want to get into the nitty gritty of it too much, but like the show could totally work on Disney Plus with a content warning, just like hey, TVMA you know, violence score, whatever, you know, and just, and I think there's parental controls on Disney plus. So it's like, it would totally do fine there. And honestly, it would probably find a bigger audience on Disney plus. That's true. Um, yeah. But you know, that's, that's for the showrunner and all the people in the networks and all the people in Hollywood to figure out. Hopefully I think um, supposedly they, they think that they can find a new home and I, I'm, you know, I hope so. I really do. I really hope we can keep this going and they can, uh, come back for at least another season. So if you want to visit our website, it's whythelastpodcast.com. We are on Twitter at why underscore the last pod. Um, you already got all of our handles and everything. Thanks everyone for joining us. Be safe and we'll see you next time. <laughs>